Suspend your disbelief. Let yourself be led down a path into the world of the paranormal, where ghosts, shadow people, cryptids, aliens, and all things supernatural dominate. Immerse yourself in a dimension of ominous trepidation with your hosts, Dan, Danny, and Rachel. Welcome to the Phantom Faction Podcast. Welcome to this edition of Phantom Faction Podcast. I'm Danny. I'm Dan. And I'm Rachel. 75 shows now. Yes. Episode 75. Yes. That's crazy. I know. It's a great milestone. Just over two years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have a really interesting guest tonight to celebrate our 75th. I heard we're going to the East Coast. We're going to the East Coast of Canada, all the way to Nova Scotia. And we have a Mr. Vernon Oikel with us, and he is uh, an author Mm -hmm. and a journalist, and he likes his paranormal stuff. Mm-hmm. He's written uh, several books on ghosts, uh, ghost stories of Nova Scotia, ghost stories of the Maritimes, Dancing with the Dead, even more ghost stories of Nova Scotia. So I, I guess there's a lot of spirits out and a lot of paranormal tales out east. <laughs> it does sound like it. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, we have a lot of spirit down this way. Yes, we, you know, we, uh, in more ways than one, but um, <laughs> no, we, uh, you know, Considering how old uh, this part of the can- uh, of the country, you know, how old this part of Canada is, uh, it only stands to reason with all the history and heritage we have that we would have lots of uh, legends and folklore and uh, whatnot, um, you know, superstitions and traditions in our in our provinces. So, uh, yeah, there's there's lots of material to to draw from. Yeah, when people think of uh, the East Coast and Nova Scotia, right away they're thinking of the ocean, the nautical, the waters. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of the TV show, yeah, Oak Island. Island. First of Oak Island, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there's so much history and stories behind uh, the oh, islands yeah. themselves. Uh, yeah. So, is, Oak Island's about a, about a 45 minute drive from where I live. So uh, uh, it's you know it's just a stone's throw away, as they say around here. Mm-hmm. And uh, there there's a lot of you know there's been a lot of uh, traditions and stories and. Uh, Legends coming out of that part of the province for sure. And it's the longest running treasure hunt in, in, in the world or among us. So. I cheer for them week after week saying, find something, find something. <laughs> I found a bottle cap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I do like the show though. I, I'm a, I admit to being a fan and yeah. uh, as do most of my family. So uh, You know, I've never watched it. No, I've never watched it, but no. I, I know all about it. But uh, it, seems, yeah. it seems interesting what, you know. We'll get there. Yeah. yeah. No, it's great. So you were born and raised in Liverpool. Um, yes. Not England, but Liverpool, Nova Scotia. Yes, Liverpool on the Mersey. Only Liverpool on the Mersey in Nova Scotia as to in England, right? Right. Well, I, I studied journalism in Alberta for a couple of years, and when I graduated with a, a diploma in journalism I, in 1982, so I'm really an old feller, um, Moved back home and started working with my community newspaper, and I've been here ever since. Where was the interest in the paranormal? Did that come at a young age, or, or? Uh, yeah, I was raised uh, in a family. My my mom and her family, in particular, and her her mother. So my grandmother were very superstitious uh, type of people. You know, everything that happened in the universe, uh, in the world, or uh, all around us, uh, they believed in. in signs and warnings and superstitions and so um you know i i got it naturally i i, I jokingly say that it's it's uh considering the environment i was raised in when it comes to that sort of thing it's wonder i'm halfway normal but 
Then when I think about it, I'm not sure I'm really halfway normal either. So. <laughs> yeah. We, I, yeah. No, I I just you know exposed to it all my life, and I've enjoyed it, and um, kind of turned the obsession into uh, you know a sort of a career in, in writing, and blended my journalism experience with um, researching and writing the stories. So it's fun. All right. Now, is there? Um some hauntings and and stuff in Liverpool itself that uh, that oh, you can yeah, talk about. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, several well-known um, properties uh, in in the area that 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 are known to have uh, spirits and legends around them. Uh, Dexter's Tavern and right here in downtown Liverpool is one of the oldest buildings in in um, in, the, in town. Actually, I believe it's the oldest building in Liverpool, so it's well over 200 years old. Uh, it has a spirit. All along the South Shore, though, South Shore of Nova Scotia, that's where I live in Halifax. I'm about an hour and a half south of, uh, of, of Halifax. So the whole region is just uh, rife with uh, uh, ghost stories and legends. A lot of the historical inns have spirits. Um, so there's no shortage of material. So when you um, started, say, your your journalist career, you're, you're writing for, I believe, the Advanced Times, was it? Yes, the Advanced. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you write about uh, paranormal activity at the time? I did, and um, it's interesting. And I was thinking about this. Uh, I, I give talks, uh, uh, ghost, I tell ghost stories uh, other than this year because of the pandemic. But um, normally, uh, once a week at one of the local resorts, they have, uh, have me out to tell ghost stories around the campfire. And uh, that question always comes up. How did you get started writing about ghost stories and the paranormal and um, of course with as I said with my background and my you know the family I was raised in is is uh, part of it but when I worked for the local newspaper um, every newspaper has its annual features that you have to do you have to do a story you have to do a Christmas story you have to find a Halloween story to do. so <laughs> writing about uh, the paranormal sort of sort of grew from every year trying trying to find a feature Mm -hmm. uh, to run in the newspaper and uh, about you know spirits or ghosts or local legends or whatever. So every year I would find one of the local legends or stories to write about, and then um, you know after a number of years I had a little collection going on. So that's mm -hmm. how it's. So I thought, well, if I collected them and, and add it to it, then perhaps I may have a book there someday, and that's sort of how it started. And you didn't have an editor there going, we're not going to publish that. <laughs> well, I worked for a community newspaper, which I think is the best. Uh, yeah. Community newspapers are the best form of journalism because it's, such, it's so grassroots and you're so exposed to people all, you know, on every day. And, uh, and no, the editors just loved it because they were looking for things, uh, stories about the community and what better... Uh, you know, topics to write about than, than the homes and the, and the properties and the people impacted by these uh, superstitions or or stories than uh, than writing about ghost stories and the spirits and their activities. So no, nobody said no. We can't do that. And, you know, they always were looking forward to it every year to, to find something local to write about. So are the people of Nova Scotia? Would you describe them as very open to uh, the paranormal and stories? I would say. For the most part, yes, um, and I I think it, over the past decade or two, I think the interest and the uh, willingness to believe has has grown. And I don't know if it's because of cable TV and the shows, the technology people are more exposed to it. 
there certainly still is a reluctance on the part of some people not to want to talk about their experiences because they're afraid that someone might think they're a little off their rocker or something like that. But um, for the most part, I think most people are receptive and uh, particularly if you get them around a fire and they get get on a roll, they love to talk about their experiences and uh, share with others. And when we do those talks, I always encourage people not to be judgmental, but uh, to just listen. If you have a story to tell, uh, that's great. Encourage people to share the stories because that's that's kind of uh, you know that's kind of how I see myself as a collector and a and a and a storyteller and a sharer of these stories. So uh, I don't judge uh, when I get phone calls or, or messages from people who who want to tell me their stories. I never say, okay, well that's just too fantastical. There's no way that could happen, right? So I never go in with a preconceived notion that something could or could not happen. So always keep an open mind because um, I'm I'm of the of the opinion that. You know, it's not my job to judge. It's my job to collect the story and to put it out there, either uh, through you know talking about it at ghost story presentations or writing about them in stories or magazines or whatever. And so that's the approach I take. Okay. And I think most people are receptive to that. I find people are open and they're willing to. If you if you let them know that you're not going to judge what what you're what they're going to tell you, then most people are are ready to talk about it. And there's always something about um, not not only east coast of Canada, but east coast of the U.S., especially in the northern states, where it's it's almost like that culture of mystery and yeah. storytelling, and you know, sitting around the campfire or on the beach, that sort of thing too. Exactly. And, well, uh, as I said, it's such an old part of Canada, right? Four hundred years in history and counting. So there's a lots to draw from, but we've all seen stories or heard on TV or we've heard stories of, around the campfire, particularly the resort I, I do this at uh, is right next to the ocean. So the campfire is right next to the ocean. So, you know, you have these uh, visions of uh, ghost ships out on the ocean or, mm -hmm. you know, pirates coming, ghosts of pirates there uh, along the shore that have been left behind to protect the the booty and their spirits are still there after hundreds of years and uh, so you, you know it's just the environment is in the atmosphere is just perfect it's a perfect setting uh, to get going on a roll with this stuff and uh, you know again I, I just find people are very forthcoming if you never if you don't judge them if you don't laugh at them because that's you know that's that's a must when you participate in any of my events is let's just have fun with it because that's what it's all about really uh, i do think that you know sometimes uh, because of uh, the exposure through some of the medias the movies and tv shows people have a preconceived notion of what it means to have a spiritual encounter um but i i, I think for the most part the people i've spoken with over my years of doing this um you know, most people are, of course, they're shocked or surprised and um, they have to come to terms with what what they've uh, perhaps seen or experienced. But after they do, I think most people are, are willing to accept that maybe there's more out there than they can explain and they're willing to embrace it. And uh, if they can find like-minded people to share it with, then, they're, then that's, that's important to them. So that's kind of the role I play, I think. Now, we, before we get into some of the... Uh you know, the really good uh, ghost stories of Nova Scotia. Have you had any personal uh, um, paranormal stories growing up? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, um, 
I have had uh, I have had experiences with the paranormal. Uh, I'm always asked when I when I do talks and get questions from people, what's my favorite type of ghost stories? Um, my uh, my favorite types of ghost stories are those that deal with forerunners. Now I, I assume you guys know what forerunners are. The Toyota, the four, the, the uh, four by four. <laughs> not that kind of four. Oh, sorry. So no, no, we're not familiar with that. So you better explain it to us and, and okay. the audience. So um, a forerunner is um, is an omen or a precursor uh, of tragedy or death. So here in the Maritimes, if you see or experience a forerunner, um, most you know most people who believe in these, they'll tell you that it's shocking and it's frightening because usually if you see a forerunner or experience a forerunner, it means that somebody you know is going to die within the next three days. So you don't, you know, you don't want that. If, if you ever experience a forerunner, if you ever see a forerunner, it could be a, a, an image or a vision of somebody you think is there who, who really isn't there and you sort of like you turn your head away and you look back and you go to explore and there's nobody there. That's a forerunner. You think you saw somebody, it's, it's almost like a deja vu, but it's more than that. You see, you, you know, you could swear that there was somebody there. And, um, around, so, so uh, around here we call that Tuesday. Because <laughs> it happens all the time, especially to Rachel well, and I. A, a forerunner can also be uh, <laughs> can also be a, a sound, like three knocks at the door or a window, <laughs> right? So as as if mm -hmm. <laughs> death is coming, you know, it, it's a uh, a belief that death is coming coming knocking at your door. Uh, so that's a sort of a forerunner, but it's only verbal as opposed to visual. So. I, I find those stories uh, most fascinating, people who have experienced a forerunner. And um, yes, and I have, uh, I have seen a forerunner. And if you ever experience a forerunner, you're, you know, you'll, you'll know it. The thing that here in the Maritimes is there's so many omens or, or precursors to tragedy that, um, you know, and I talk about being raised in an environment where sometimes I thought, I, you know, it's a wonder I'm saying it all, but... For example, if you if a window slams, well, not so much today because we have these modern crank windows. But in the old days, the lift-up windows, if one of the like if the window fell down uh, on its own, that was a sign of death. Or if a bird hits the window of your house or something, it, it, that's a sign of death. Somebody in the, uh, somebody you know is going to die. If the bird gets in your house. It's even worse because it means somebody in your family is going to die, or somebody in the house is going to die. So. Um, there's all these uh, superstitions and old wives' tales that are floating around out there, and you just combine all that sort of, sort of culture, and uh, uh, forerunners lend themselves to to um, uh, to make great stories. I have experienced a forerunner. The story is exceedingly long, and it would be very painful to tell your listeners about it, so I won't get into that. Um, I'll tell you to buy one of my books. Maybe that's the best one. <laughs> I will tell you uh, uh, about an experience uh, I'll share with you because it's not that long. Uh, two years ago, actually two years ago today. Today is uh, August 17th and it is, uh, today would have been my sister's, uh, her name was Heather, and she would have been 61 years old uh, today. She's two years older than I am. And uh, oh, I just gave my age away, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> so two years ago today, um, and it, it was a Thursday, and I remember exactly that it was a Thursday because uh, it's Thursday night is when I did my ghost talk at uh, the resort that I that I do it at. Um, so here's just a little bit of background. My sister died uh, 27 years ago of leukemia, and 
it was just uh, I had no other siblings, just myself and her. So, um, and I had never experienced up to two years ago any kind of um, activity that I would say was related to my sister in any way, shape, or form. But two years ago, my uh, I get up to go to work and. Uh, I get up at 5.30 and my youngest son gets up at, gets up at 6 o'clock to get ready to go to work. Um, so I get up at 5.30, have my shower and shave and whatever and get ready for work. And then he gets up at 6 o'clock and he goes into the bathroom, which is right next to my office. And um, um, I hear him messing around with his razor and he couldn't get, he couldn't get it to work. So he, he says, Dad, can you come in and have a look at this? I can't get my razor to work. So I went in. Checked it out. I closed the bedroom, uh, the bathroom door because my wife was asleep down the hallway and we didn't want to wake her up. So uh, I'm freaking around with his razor and I can't get it to work. And all of a sudden, like out of the blue, we hear this little tap on the door. And uh, this female voice says, hurry up, I have to pee. Can I say pee on, on your broadcast? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, my son's name is Colby, so he and I just looked at each other and thought, well, it's mom. She needs to get in the bathroom. So um, I said I said to Colby, let's let mom in. So I opened the, bath, the, the bathroom door, expecting to see my wife standing there, and there was no one there. So I'm thinking, this is really odd. I looked around. I couldn't find her. I walked down the hallway, and the bedroom door was still closed. So I knew it wasn't my wife. So I went back to the bathroom, and Colby was still in there. And I said, Colby, did you hear that? And and he said to me, yes, he said, mom wants to get in the bathroom, she has to pee. So I said, no, it wasn't mom. I said, we must have been hearing things. No, the other part is, um, we both heard it. We both heard the knock and we both heard the voice and it was clearly a female's voice. And uh, so we got ready for work. He went to his job and I went off to my job. And while I was driving to work that morning, it just bothered, I mean, it bothered me because I couldn't figure out who it was, what was going on at the, bath, at the bathroom. And then, and then I remembered that it was my sister's birthday that day. And it got me thinking back when we were children. And we only, we grew up in a house where there was only one bathroom in the house. And uh, as I got thinking about it, I remembered that as a child, it didn't matter who visited the house. It could be a perfect stranger or somebody from the family or a friend. And invariably, whenever somebody went in the bathroom, Heather would go to the door and, hurry up, I have to pee. <laughs> as soon as I remembered that, I, 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 I freaked out because I thought, oh, my God, that's exactly what I heard that, that morning. So I got through the day and I, I got went home and I and, and and this just verifies for me that Colby heard the exact same thing. So when I walked in the door, um, my wife's we you know we greeted each other and she said, I understand you guys had an interesting morning and I said, What do you mean? So she told me what Colby had told her before I got home, the exact same word. So the thing is, we could not both have heard that. Like I'm, if it was just me, I might have imagined it, right? I might say it was my emotions or some sort of subconscious thing going on in my head or whatever. But the fact that we both heard the exact same thing and the coincidence that it happened on my sister's birthday was really the, the, the deciding, you know, the thing to me. Now, I've told that story many times. Some people... Some people are just so skeptical they won't believe anything. But most people... 
I would say 90, 95% of people, their first word is, oh my God, I just got cold chills. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, that's not as, uh, you know, as a sexy or as romantic as some of the ghost stories that are out there, but it's just one little uh, encounter with the paranormal. I really believe that the reality is that if you're open to that sort of thing, if you if you allow yourself to be receptive to the paranormal, then things uh, may happen to you. And I can't explain it. It's a it's a fun little story, but it just kind of confirmed to me that maybe there's more out there in the universe than we can explain. Because really, who are we to say the paranormal doesn't exist? Uh, I get asked the question a lot: Do you believe? And my stock answer is: I don't not believe because. I have seen things and I've talked to people and had experiences in places um, that you just say, well, man, there's no way you can explain that rationally. There's just no simple explanation for it. So, um, yeah, so I have had the occasional uh, I, uh, experience with the paranormal. I've seen a few things. I walked, I have walked in, um, uh, in the premises, uh, uh, properties where you walk in and you get sort of... Um, I just describe it sort of like electric. You get this electric feeling, like goosebumps, um, mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. So I do, you know, I'm open to it. Let's put it that way. Well, it seems like the more you uh, research it, the more you get into it, the more you open yourself up to it as well, too. Because we all have, I mean, Danny never used to experience anything um, until we started about two years ago, and now he's seeing shadow people and things out of his yeah. peripheral and... And uh, we've heard we've heard things and uh, experienced yeah. some other s strange stuff, and yeah. it just seems yeah. yeah. The more you the more you get into it, the more you open yourself up, and and it, it presents itself to you because you've got that antenna up. Yeah, right? and I, and I always say to people, why don't you know? I, I get it. You can be. I have nothing wrong with a healthy dose of skepticism. Um, we shouldn't believe everything that we hear or see, perhaps, but. Uh, I also think that people should be should be open and, and, and invite things that we don't know, right? To to, to have, keep an open mind and to talk about it. And if you find people who sort of think the same way you are, don't poo-poo them just because you don't believe in it or don't agree with what they're saying. Don't make them feel insignificant or strange or whatever just because they've had an experience. I think that's why a lot of people don't want to talk about it because they're afraid of being judged. Yeah, it's not really a, Absolutely. a topic you talk about around the water cooler, right? No, that's right. And you know what? I find, uh, I experience, my experience has been, uh, particularly when we do ghost stories, children, young people, they have such an open mind. Um, they, they like to, now, you sometimes have to sort of figure out what's real or what's, what's made up with children. But I think for the most part, uh, children are really receptive and you know why? I think it's because the older we get, we become brainwashed. We're told we can't believe these things, or these things can't happen because you know this is not a normal thing that happens in everyday in the everyday world. So you can't believe in that. I don't. I don't believe that. I think you should. You know, if a child says they've experienced something, I think you, as a parent or a guardian or whatever, you should take the time and listen to them because maybe there's something there that you you know. I do know that some kids have overactive imaginations. I understand and appreciate that, but some adults do too. <laughs> I don't think yeah. we should shut them down. Yeah, uh, is what I'm saying. Yeah, 
I found that as as a kid, I was very open to it. My grandmother was very psychic, and so I I, w I grew up with that. I always tell the story that I just thought everybody's grandmother was that way, but found out later on that it wasn't. So my right. mind kind of closed up to it, and then you kind of go through your high school years, and you know you don't want to mention exactly. anything of it, and you want to stay with the cool. cool to talk about it in right. high school. <laughs> it wasn't until like later on that I really got where I was very curious about uh, yeah. ghosts and that. And of course, like you mentioned earlier, uh, television shows now, they're just, like TV is just full of paranormal shows and it just spawned yeah. the interest all over again. And it's like, okay, exactly. I had some things happen when I was younger, but I shut it out. But doing this show now, uh, it's kind of opened me up again. And I'm, you know, it's... That's great. And I do think that... Uh, you know, if you really want to explore this topic, you, you need to surround yourself or at least connect with people who have similar beliefs to you. So you can talk about it and share your experiences and uh, be in an, in an atmosphere where you're not judging, judging each other, right? Mm -hmm. I, I do think that's important. Tell us uh, about your books. Uh, what, yeah. was your, what was your first book that you had put together? My very first book or my first ghost story book? Your ghost story book. Okay, because I, I have 32 books out, but I, I, I have uh, uh, seven, uh, I'm sorry, six uh, ghost story books that deal specifically with that topic. And I have, I have a couple of books out on superstitions and, and that sort of thing. But in terms of ghost stories, I have six books. My very first one was Ghost Stories of the Maritimes, and that came out, oh my gosh, I didn't even look at the year on this thing, but it's, it's, it was my first ghost story book, and it was uh, 2001, somewhere around there, so it's okay. been a while. And then, and then we followed that up with ghost stories, that was uh, volume one, and the ghost stories of the Maritimes volume two, and then I contributed to an anthology of Canadian ghost stories, and then I did Canada's Haunted Coast, ghost stories of Nova Scotia, <laughs> and then more ghost stories of Nova Holy Scotia. Cow. And where did these stories come from? Just uh, people telling you these, or...? Exactly. Yeah? So, um, nowadays, um, you know, uh, I, I like to refer to, to these as real ghost stories. And I, I like to talk to people who have had experiences that may... I mean, we, we've all, when we touched on one of them with the Oak Island legend, mm -hmm. there are stories that are told over and over again, and they're very well publicized, right? So, but I am... Uh, Maybe it's the journalist in me, but I like to talk to people who have had experiences that don't get shared that often. And I like to mix those uh, stories in with some of the more well-established uh, ghost stories. So the books are a mixture of uh, established legends and ghost stories mixed in with uh, people who, who have had experiences who have agreed to uh, uh, trust me to tell their story. So. You know, normally what I do is I reach out to people, I, I put posts on social media, you know, work on, working on another ghost story uh, book. If you have uh, an experience in the paranormal, contact me and we take it from there. And I meet with people and, you know, like a journalist would, talk to them and talk to other people. And Yeah, so, I mean, the legends, you can do some research and track those down. There's, there's records out there, you know, over the years things happen, but... Uh, uh, I like to talk to people and get their stories about their experiences. And like I said, forerunners are really the, uh, you know, that's the way you get those kind of experiences when people talk to you about what happened to them. Uh, and uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's fun. But it's, I find it, it's also um, 
there's a responsibility that comes with it too, and talking to people and letting them tell you know mm -hmm. tell tell their stories. So that's that's what I like to do. Vernon, before we get into uh, you know a couple stories that really stick out for you, uh, one thing yeah. I, one thing I want to ask um, the Halifax explosion. Which, yes. which happened in, I believe, was it 1917 or 1912? 1917. 1917 killed almost 2,000 people. And it was, yes. at the time, it was the largest explosion in the world before the, uh, the atomic bomb. Yeah, the largest um, man-made explosion. Yes. And uh, do you get a lot of ghost stories from, from that or from that area? Because there was, would have been a lot of people that didn't know what had happened and they would have died mm -hmm. suddenly. Right. And, uh, yeah, there there are reports from Halifax, like you know, some of the places now uh, that were you that are rushed. Like when you have two thousand deaths and you have a lot of bodies around, you have to use other facilities as morgues, makeshift morgues, and that. Exactly. So there are some there are some places. There's a, um, a church in Halifax, St. Paul's. Please forgive me if that's wrong. I can look it up just to verify that. But um, there's a church that has a window. Of, uh, on the on the front, and um, there's a, an image of a man um, sort of seared in the glass in the uh, in that church, and you can see. You know, I've take, actually taken pictures of the church, and you can definitely see the outline of a man in that church. Uh -huh. And this story is in Ghost Stories of Nova Scotia. And uh, over the years, they've actually taken the glass out and replaced it with other glass, um, but the image reappears in the new glass. So oh wow. they, the, that's cool. the, the, the story is that the, the, when the explosion happened, uh, December uh, 6, uh, 1917, uh, the minister was standing in the, in the window looking out over the harbor. So when the, when the explosion happened, the explosion was so bright and the, and the energy was so powerful that his image was seared into the glass. And Ugh. so this, you know, the story that uh, he is there forever, sort of looking out over the harbor, over the city. The church left, was left standing. It wasn't touched, but... You know, so you, you hear those things, and you hear like uh, some of some of the places that were used for morgues or as funeral parlors. Now there's a place, a couple of places that are you know used still in use. Some of those buildings, one of which is a restaurant, and every now and then you hear stories coming from from those places of uh, spirits, um, you know, staff and and guests that report seeing figures, um, you know, in the premises. So, yeah, there's, there's a, Halifax is, just like a lot of maritime communities, Halifax has, you know, many ghost stories. Mm -hmm. Spirits. The spirits roam the streets. You're listening to Phantom Faction Podcast. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction at outlook.com. So, since we are a paranormal podcast, uh, our listeners love the scary ghost stories, and we want you to uh, think of a couple that really stand out, and you know maybe maybe some of your favorites that you can give us the Reader's Digest version of. Right, right. I'll, I'll tell you a story of a forerunner because to me it really drives home how important these are in the Maritimes and the legends. So I get invited. I get a phone call from uh, from a lady. Uh, it's got to be 15 years ago now. A young woman said, you have to come talk to my mother-in-law. She has had an experience, and um, she has agreed to talk to you as long as I can be. I'm speaking in her voice now. As long as um, I can be there to, to be with her. So I said, sure, sure, we can, we can, we can do that. So 
uh, we agreed on a day and a time when it would be good for me to come visit. And um, so I arrived, it was a Saturday, and I get invited in the house. And as normally happens in a good uh, Nova Scotian home, you, you sit in the kitchen and have a chat, you have a cup of tea, and you talk about everything for the next hour, except for the real reason you're there for, right? Because <laughs> you're going to get all the, all the pleasantries and who you know and all that sort of thing out of the way. And uh, it's just part of the, you know, so when you go to these places, you expect to spend the half a day, which is okay, because you want to make them feel comfortable and you want them to tell their stories. So um, this woman uh, and her husband, um, they had uh, three children, three boys, three sons. And um, this, this uh, gentleman, whose name is, was Arthur, uh, and, and the woman's name was Helen, um, as I said, they had three boys. Now, Arthur was a fisherman, born and raised, and went to sea his whole life and fished. And if anyone knows what fishing is like on the Atlantic Ocean, particularly in the wintertime or in the fall during hurricane season, it's dangerous. It's treacherous. And, uh, um, you, you know, a good many uh, ships have gone down, boats have gone down, and we've lost lots of crews. Um, it, you know, it's sad, but it is the way of life here in the Maritimes. And... Uh, you know, it comes with the territory. So the bottom line is Helen and Arthur didn't want their three boys to grow up and go to sea like their father did and their grandfather before them. Um, but invariably life happens, and lo and behold, all three boys ended up going out to sea. It's a good living, you know. Uh, you make good money, but you darn well earn it too. It's a hard life to be a fisherman. So the three, uh, the three boys grew up, the, the two older sons... Uh, uh, went to sea and different types of fishing and and uh, made a good living and they met uh, their spouses and moved out and had their own families but their youngest son whose his name was Robert but they called him Bobby um, he stayed at home with mom and dad and he was uh, he he went out fishing uh, he was uh, the crew he would was on would go for four or five days and catch their get their catch their limit and then come back in um, so he was living with mom and dad and with the understanding that he was going to save his money and then eventually buy a house and whatever happened, you know, and the, and the love life would take care of itself. And so mom and dad were okay with that. They were happy to have their youngest son with them. Um, but the only thing was with, with, uh, with them, they, they didn't want to be nosy and they weren't telling him how to live his life. But the only thing was, um, particularly with mom, they had a couple rules they had to follow. He had to follow. One of which was, didn't matter whenever he came home at night, uh, could be at 12 o'clock or it could be 3 o'clock in the morning, he had to let his mother know that he was home because most parents, like, you know, if you have children, you worry about them. Even when they're adults and grown up on their own, you still worry about them. And as long as he was living in, in, in their house, uh, Helen was not going to sleep until she knew her son was home uh, and safe and sound in, in the house. So this, you know, that was the way things went for several years. And so it came to pass that Bobby was getting ready to go out on a fishing trip. And um, Helen, she had this thing um, she could sense or she felt she had a six sort of sense, sense six sense, easy for me to say. Yeah. <laughs> that that uh, she, you know, she could sort of feel when tragedy was going to happen. And for the days leading up to... Um, Bobby going to see, she, she kept saying to him, Bobby, you should, you should skip this trip. Your dad and I will give you the money to help you buy the house and so on and so on. And of course, Bobby, 
he dismissed all of her concern as the ramblings of a crazy old lady, right? Um, and so he didn't take her seriously. And, but he grew up around that environment, so he knew, you know, that's just the, what she believed in. So he loved his mother dearly, but he just wasn't going to believe that anything could happen. So he packed his duffel bag, and she saw him off out through the back door, the kitchen door. And as she saw him go down the back steps in, in the walkway, and he waved as he went down the road to, towards the, um, the docks uh, to, to, to meet his boat, um, she had this really deep gnawing feeling in her gut that something was going to happen and that she was probably not going to see her youngest son ever again. She just couldn't shake that feeling. And for the next two days, I have to have a drink of water. <laughs> for the next two days, um, she didn't sleep, she didn't rest. She was beside herself. She just had this gnawing in her gut that something was going to happen. Now, they were scheduled, uh, Bobby and the crew, it was a four-man crew, the captain and three, three men, uh, on, on this boat, and they were supposed to be out for four days. If fishing was good, they expected to be back on the fourth day. If the fishing wasn't so great, they were going to spend another day and come back on the fifth day, regardless of what they caught, because that was, that was all they had for supplies. So it was going to be a four- or five-day trip. But on the fourth, uh, I'm sorry, on the second night, um, Helen went to bed early. She couldn't sleep. Um, she never slept when any of her family was out to sea. Arthur had long since retired, but her three boys went out. She never rested when they were out to sea. And on this night, she was, it was worse than ever. She just, it was a fit of discontent. She tossed and turned. And she, as she told me this part of the story, I could feel her emotions and you could sense her, her anguish and, you know, the tears um, so for people who don't believe this next part of the story, you, all I can say is you had to witness her tell the story and to feel her, her emotions because she just conveyed it so just heart-wrenching, really. Wow. So she was in bed, and she rolled over, and next to, the night, uh, next to the bed was a night table, and it had a digital clock with red letters, red numbers on it. And she rolled over, she looked at the clock, and it was 12.15 on the clock. And as she looked at, clock, at the clock, she had this overwhelming feeling that she should turn around and, and look at the door because she and Bobby had this um, sort of running gag that whenever he came home, he would come up the stairs and he would lean in, in the doorway up against the, you know, the, uh, the casing of the door and say, you know, crazy things like, okay, mom, you can go to sleep now or I'm home, everything is okay. So they sort of had this little banter going on. And so she had this urge to turn around. And when she did, she looked at the doorway and there was Bobby standing in the doorway. And he said to her, don't worry, Mom, I'm okay. And that was it. And he turned and he walked out, you know, away from the door. And she just assumed he was going down the hallway to go to bed. And with that, she thought, well, now I can go to sleep. Because as a, as a fisherman's wife, she knew that Sometimes things happen when they're out to sea and they had to come in early. Maybe there was a storm out to sea or maybe there was engine trouble or perhaps somebody was injured or sick uh, on the crew and they had to bring them in uh, for medical treatment. Whatever the case, she figured she would get the full story from Bobby in the morning. So she rolled over and she actually fell asleep. So the next morning she and Arthur were in the kitchen. This was about uh, 7.30 and she was at the, uh, at the kitchen sink and she was doing the dishes and preparing the dinner, you know, lunch and dinner for that day. 
And uh, Arthur was at the table having his toast and uh, tea for breakfast and reading the day's newspaper. This was at a time when the newspapers actually published hard copy paper. And he was reading the day's newspaper, and the phone rang. And they had an old ring phone next, hanging next to the, on the kitchen wall. And Helen went and answered the phone, and she talked to the, whoever was calling. And Arthur looked away from the newspaper and watched his wife, and he could see her complexion getting pale, and she became very frantic. And, and he asked her what was wrong, and she said the, to the person on the other end of the phone, just, just a minute. So she, she put her hand over the receiver, um, over the phone, and she said to Arthur, she said, just go upstairs to see if Bobby's okay. So he didn't ask any questions. He quickly darted upstairs, and a few minutes later, he came down the stairs, and he said, I, I don't know how long. He said, there's nobody in the bed, and it doesn't look like the bed was slept in. So she dropped the phone, and she just became hysterical at that moment. And Arthur picked up the phone, and he talked to, to, to whoever was calling. It was another captain from the wharfs. And um, he called to tell them that uh, they had some, they feared, he feared they had some bad news, um, that they feared that the, the boat that uh, Bobby was on had been lost at, you know, had gone down, um, and they'd lost contact with them. In fact, the last time anyone had any contact with the, the boat, the captain of the boat that Bobby was on was 12.15 the night before. I knew that was coming. And uh, <laughs> so, so to Helen, um, that was it. That was con that was all she. I mean, she she had no doubt. She went to her grave with the belief that on the, as as Bobby was leaving this earth, he was reaching out to her to tell her that um, you know she shouldn't worry that he was okay. And now you you know that's a forerunner. Mm -hmm. She saw a forerunner of her son. Now you can say that um, you, you know you can dismiss it as. Uh, you know the ramblings of a of a lady who lost it. Uh, perhaps it was her mind playing tricks on her to to help you know provide her some comfort for um, you know the loss of her youngest son or whatever you want to. But I can tell you, we you know talking to her directly, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that she experienced something that night. Right. Um, if it wasn't a forerunner, I have no idea what it was. But I I believed her, and I still when I think about her story. Today, I still believe I still believe that she had some sort of experience that night that uh, yeah. um, you know, so, defied simple explanation. So this lady told you the story personally, then? Yeah, and the daughter and her daughter-in-law, one of the sons, other wives, was with her. And how long ago was that? I'd say about fifteen years ago now. Okay, um, you know we can we can see you. Obviously, because yeah. we're over Zoom, and you know, we only record the audio part for for the podcast. Um, right. uh, I know you haven't listened to the podcast before, but Rachel is a medium, okay, and she's not feeling the greatest <laughs> this evening. So we've been passing notes back and forth. Uh, I've seen that, yeah. And uh, she says there's five spirits in the room with you right now. Oh, really? <laughs> and she's and she wrote one of the names down as Bobby. Oh my gosh! So. It's That's almost, bizarre. it's like you're, you're telling the story and he's picking up on the signal. There you go. And he's presented himself. So you can say hello to Bobby. He's, I think he's over your right shoulder. Wow. That's so. just, uh, that, you know, it's really weird is that the, where you guys are, there's a lot of glass in the background and I'm seeing reflections and oh. all the glasses. <laughs> I'm looking over my shoulder. <laughs> right. 
You kind of spooked me out. So. Yeah, that's okay. That's what we're here for. Uh, one, one of the other things Ra poor Rachel wrote down here. Poor Rachel. Because I, I said she's not feeling the greatest. Um, there's a, a young female spirit that, that don't think they knew that they were past when you were a kid. And they used to lock doors as a game. Did you find locked doors in your home when you were young? I don't recall that, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means I don't remember it. I'm almost 60 years old, so you know, it's possible <laughs> well. like, um, but I lived, my grandparents had a, um, lived in an old farmhouse about a half an hour or so from where we lived. And, you know, it was one of those places, the old farmhouses with the steep stairs going to the second floor. And, um, there were always things that happened in that house. So perhaps Rachel, it's, connected with that because the story from that from that house was that there was a there was a kid that died in that house um so it's possible we spent my sister and i spent a lot of time in that house so i don't recall locked doors but uh, one of the stories i do recall my grandmother saying was that they used to keep this kid and and whatever was wrong with this kid i, I don't really know the whole story there um but one of the stories was you know one of the things was that they kept her in the, the in the room a lot um, so it's possible the door was locked. I don't know if that has any connection or not, but it's just kind of weird that it's a kid, right? And, and, and it was a girl, so... Rachel's also telling me that you were led by your grandmother to write about the paranormal. I do believe that, because as I said, I, my exposure... Um, my mother was bad, but my grandmother was a fanatic. Mm. I mean, there's no <laughs> doubt. Everything. If you drop a dishcloth on the floor or a fork or... Oh my God, you know, um, I joke, as I jokingly say, it's a wonder I'm halfway normal, but it's the truth. Uh, <laughs> I, in fact, I dedicated one of my books to my grandmother because I do credit her uh, with planting that seed in my head a long, long time ago. That, right. You know, this is something, and you know, I, I do believe it's a part of our heritage down here, uh, and, and uh, that by recording it and, and collecting the stories, it's a way of preserving that heritage and keeping it alive. So I do thank her for that. So Rachel, you're not really, you're really not wrong on that. It certainly <laughs> was, um, you know, huge influence on my life there with, with her. And I'm sure she might be one of the ones standing in the room with you too. Well, <laughs> right? it's possible. She's been gone a long time. Well, that's okay. Um, yeah. Oh yes. No, I know. Well, she's not in any rush to get, you know, reincarnated or yeah, or uh, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Exactly. I get a sense that she's very proud of your certification. <laughs> yes. Have you ever been on a, a paranormal investigation with any teams out there? I have. Um, there's a group I work closely with here. Actually, they're based in Liverpool. They're called Cops Crossed Over Paranormal Society. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, I've been on some investigations with them. I'm not a part of the group. Uh, but the good thing, the interesting thing about them is whenever I went out to talk to people for stories for my books, um, I always ask them, you know, people say, well, I'd like to know what's going on here. I would say to them, well, would you like somebody to come and check it out? Like, would you? And so I often recommend that locations to this group who would go, uh, investigate the places for them and sometimes they would pass on potential stories to me so it was a given you know in fact um, ghost stories of Nova Scotia is dedicated to that group because they were very you know we we communicated a lot and uh, there were a few times when we did uh, uh, presentations to um, different uh, audiences and we did it together myself along with the members of the group so very close with, with those guys very good 
What's uh, what's next for you, Vernon? Are you writing? Still writing more books? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, in addition to the ghost story, my, uh, I, I like to uh, write. Uh, I write primarily nonfiction, but I do do some novels. Uh, I have a series of novels out uh, based on the. I don't know about in uh, your part of Canada, but down here we have a, a series. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, saying one crow's sorrow, two crows joy, three crows a letter, four crows a boy, and so on and so on. Right? It, 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 <laughs> It goes back many, many generations. So uh, about 20 years ago, I started writing a series of uh, novels based on that saying. And each title uh, of the books is a line out of that phrase. So the first book is called One Crow Sorrow. The second book is called Two Crows Joy, Four Crows a Boy, Three, uh, three Crows a Ladder, Four Crows a boy, boy, Five Crows Silver, Six Crows Gold, and uh, Six Crows Gold. Six Crows Gold is the one I'm working on now, so wow. uh, with hopes of getting that out next next year. So, um, you know, I also like to write about uh, local history and and um, heritage and that sort of thing. So I have some books. Uh, I'm doing a photo book with uh, with the local museum, just heritage history of our of, of our communities. That's coming out this fall. So there's lots on the plate. Keep me busy. For sure. Now, you got one more doozy for us, and then... Sure, All right. sure. So, um, here, uh, I like to, I, I like to um, do stories as well, in addition to with uh, Forerunners, which are, my, as I said, my absolute favorite. The other place, the other thing I like to write about are inns and hotels that have uh, ghosts and stories and, and legends attached to them. And there's a place here in Liverpool called Lane's Privateer Inn, and it has um, it has a spirit attached to it, and uh, the previous owner uh, and her father, who who, who ran the uh, the inn, um, told me this story many many years ago. And in fact, it's in uh, Ghost Stories of the Maritimes. Um, so uh, the daughter's name was Susan, and uh, she actually told me about her experiences in the inn. And then, like she's heard had heard stories over the years of. Things like guests and staff reporting smelling perfume, a woman's perfume, sort of like something like your grandmother would wear. She sort of described it like a sweet-smelling violet, sort of like she said it would. You know, you'd automatically think of your grandmother when you smell the perfume. Um, it was an old. It's it's an old mansion that was built for one of the privateers here, um, uh, Joseph Bars, and um, so it's you know it's a big old property it's got a second floor and steps to go up to the second floor and guests and uh, staff in the inn would often report hearing somebody come in the front door and running up the uh, up the steps you know heavy boots on you could definitely tell it was a man's footsteps going up the stairs that sort of thing doors opening and closing by themselves um, when the staff in the bar in the dining room would put things away at night um, the tables would suddenly all of a sudden be pushed back from uh, the chairs would be pushed back from the tables for no ex, you know explanation that sort of thing but Susan told me some interesting experiences she had there at the end um, she it, it used to it op it's open year-round now but at one time it used to close down after Thanksgiving for the winter and it would open up again in the spring but Susan lived there uh, year-round in one of the rooms up on the third floor was uh, uh, residences for the owners so she lived there 
And uh, she would tell me at, late at night when she was in the office working on the books or whatever, she would sometimes hear a woman crying off in a distance. And um, she would get up to go to try to find it. And just as she, she would follow the sound of the woman, and um, just as she thought she was close to where the sound was coming from, it would stop. But then it would start some other place. And she would go in search of it again. And this would happen for quite some time. She also had a similar experience with radios. As you know, the, old, the music from an old-fashioned radio, sometimes she would hear that and she could never find um, find out where it was coming from. Guests would sometimes report seeing a woman standing at the edge of the bar, sort of dressed in, you know, uh, early settlement attire with the long dresses and, you know, that sort of thing. With, her, with the hair pulled back, dark hair, but the hair was always pulled back from the head type of thing. Um, so this type of thing was, would happen quite often. It became sort of, um, you know, the staff and the owners just sort of, accepted it it was it was what it was uh, but this uh, this this latest the, the last experience that I'll tell you about that experience with Susan happened on a Christmas Eve many years ago now uh, probably 20 years ago she was over uh, her 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 mom and dad and their the, her other siblings had another property uh, across the town bridge and you could walk to her from the end so Susan walked over to the family home and spend Christmas Eve together, uh, you know, family gathering. And um, probably about 10, 30, or 11 o'clock, um, she was walking back over over to the inn. And as she crossed the bridge, she had to go across the, the bridge that crossed the Mersey River. There's You cross the bridge. And, and as you're crossing the bridge, you see the inn is right on the side of the river. You can't miss it. Now, remember, I told you the inn was shut down for the winter at this point. Um, and so there was no one else staying there. There was no staff. There was no guests. And uh, normally in an old place like that, a couple hundred years old, they keep the doors open when it's closed up to, just for the air circulation, right? So as she crossed the bridge, she could see on the second floor in one of the rooms, she could see um, a light flickering. And uh, her first thought was that it was a television. You know what it's like in a darkened room when the television's on, the flickering from the movement of the TV. Well, that's what she saw, and she thought, Somehow, somebody was in that room and left the television on. Um, who it was, she had no idea because as far as she knew, she was the only one in the end up to that point. Um, so she went in the front door and she went up to the second floor. Um, and she walked down the hallway. This, was at, this room was at the end of the hallway. And she walked down the hallway. And she got to this room and she could see the light flickering. And as she walked in the room where the, where the light was, the temperature dropped, plummeted, got very, very cold. And... Um, so she, the television was on. She had no explanation. But she went over to the TV and she hit the off button. And as she did, the door slammed shut. But not only that, but all the doors on that hallway slammed shut after, the, after each other. Boom, boom, boom. And as if somebody was running down the hallway closing the doors. And um, uh, so uh, it freaked her out for a moment. But she stayed there alone in the end. <laughs> Well, she thought she was alone. Yeah. So um, her dad, uh, who has since passed away, told me the story of the legend of the property. Now, uh, it's interesting because um, this, this, you can't verify it because there's no historical records. But back in the early settlement days of Liverpool, and as were you know, early settlements everywhere, I guess, in those days, justice was harsh. And 
Um, there was a woman, supposedly, uh, uh, a widow. Her husband went to sea and never came back, but left her with three small children, and they were destitute. And the story goes that she was um, uh, caught one day stealing a loaf of bread at the local market. And uh, they didn't tolerate thievery too well. So the story, the legend goes, is that they, they, they took her across the harbor, across the river, and there was a tree there. It's gone now. Uh, and they strung her up from the tree, and she dodged. They hanged her from the tree. And, uh, of course, uh, the legend uh, goes that uh, this is the, the spirit of the end, is this woman who is still looking for her children in search of her children. Now, here's the, little, here's the little interesting part about this. I used to tell this story at some conferences and whatnot, and there was a conference here in Liverpool a few years ago about the paranormal, and I, and I was one of the speakers. I told this story, and I could see this woman in the front row. She was becoming very agitated and very upset. And she was leaning over, talking to the woman beside her. And, and so when I finished my story, I asked her, Directless, is there something like do you, is something you want to share? Is there something not right? And she said, "I'm so freaked out." She said, "This is the truth." She said, um, two weeks before the conference, she and her husband had had a, spent their anniversary night at that inn, and she said at about three o'clock in the morning, she actually woke up. She was freaking out. She was in tears. She actually woke her husband up because she'd had a dream, and that she dreamed that. She was taken across the river in a boat, and she was hung from a tree wow. on that property. Oh, and um, she said to, and, I, and she said, the woman next to me said, I don't know who this woman is, but she said, I couldn't help but say to, to lean across to her. And when I was telling the story, she said to the woman, she said, if he says that a woman was hanged from a tree on that property, I'm going to lose it. So I said to the other woman next to her, I said, did, is that what the woman told you? And she did. Wow. That is what she said. That That is the dream that this woman had, that she dreamed that night. That it's nice to get those validations and confirmations, yeah. right? So, again, you know, power of suggestion, I'm not sure. but um, How much did you pay her? <laughs> no, that's really cool. I love stories like that. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought it was uh, great as well. So yeah, I like the fact, and it's probably because you're a journalist, but you not only tell the ghost story, but you have an answer as well of who that uh, spirit may be, which you know right. I think yeah. that's it, the historian in it, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, well, that I is think so that great. Really adds to the story that you can put it in some kind of context, right? That perhaps. I mean, you, you can't say definitively that that's the woman. I mean, there's no way of knowing, right? So, yeah. But, yeah, it's part of the fun of doing it. Did you get any information more on the woman who was hanged? No, I can't, I can't verify it because there's no historical records of, of it. Because Rachel's telling me she had a son. Oh, really? In yeah. addition to the... Well, maybe she did have... The story goes that she had three children, so perhaps... Oh, there you go. Was he showing up now? Or really? Yeah. Well, you're really tuning into it, Vernon, aren't you? <laughs> Vernon, you're giving off uh, a lot of uh, psychic, yeah, energy. psychic energy tonight, all yeah. the way from Nova Scotia. <laughs> there you go. Well, there you go. Well, that was fun, Rachel. Thank maybe, you. Maybe you'll, have you're to, maybe you'll have to get a reading from Rachel one day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if we ever meet. We're going to wrap things up, and of course we want to know where we can get your books or how we can get them. Well, they're all over. Um, uh, you can certainly get them through Chapters Indigo, Amazon. Uh, you can check out uh, uh, my publisher is uh, my current publisher is McIntyre Self Publishing. 
ghoststoriesofnovascotia.com. So you can go on the website there and check them out. That's Ghost Stories of Nova Scotia. More Ghost Stories of Nova Scotia there. Um, but yeah, you can check out Amazon and, and uh, Indigo and Chapters. And um, certainly down here in the Maritimes, you can get them at most bookstores or even gift stores and that sort of thing. They're they're mm -hmm. you know, they're fairly popular. Well, um, how many Vernon Oikels are there out there? Come yeah. on. Interesting enough, there's more than you think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know what I think, Vernon, is that uh, you could do tours. I don't know whether you do that already, but, uh, you know, I've taken people around to the different locations where these things have happened. I have done some here in Liverpool uh, with right here in town, some of the historical properties that have ghost stories connected to them. And people do love it. Yeah. They do, yeah, they do, they do, do that. Uh, there are, in Nova Scotia, there are several... Uh, ghost tour, um, oh, historical tours as well, but there are also some very, uh, very good uh, ghost story tours. Uh, if anybody's ever, once things open up, if the world ever gets back to normal, whatever normal is, um, I would recommend, if you like that sort of thing, to come to Nova Scotia because there are just so many of those. They're wonderful. I've been on a couple of them and they're fantastic. They're, they're, there's one up in the Annapolis Valley this guy does, uh, Jeremy the Gravekeeper. Um, and he uh, he takes you on a tour of the town, and it's just fabulous. He has he has um, actors that come out and um, uh, you know play the role of some of these people, these spirits. It's just it's wonderful. I did it last fall. I yeah. just loved it. It was great. I think the key is that the storyteller has to be animated mm -hmm. and has to know his or her stuff, right? You just can't. Oh yeah. You can't wing it. No, no, not at all. All right, we thank you for uh, joining us, Vernon. Well, thank you very much. It was, uh, it's been fun, and thank you for the opportunity. All the best. Phantom Faction Podcast, a podcast to educate, entertain, assist, and guide anyone involved or interested in the paranormal. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction at outlook.com.